This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Draft Sickos on the No Ceilings NBA YouTube channel and the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. This is the show where we cover everybody from the biggest names to the deepest sleepers. I'm your host, Maxwell Baumbach. This week's guest, we have Keandre Ashley from Hoop Intellect. Uh, if you follow the NBA draft space at all, you were probably familiar with him, especially if you're on YouTube. Uh, the Hoop Intellect YouTube channel is it's elite. It's one of the best places to get scouting information, get caught up to date on uh you know boards individual players scouting reports things like that keandre thank you so much for being here yeah man appreciate you having me on for sure so one thing i i I was kind of curious about is when i first started to kind of dip my foot into the draft pool draft pool uh it was it was people like you know sam bassini obviously is is a big name in the space but on youtube it was adam spinella and you were like the two guys that were like the kings of, of draft youtube at the time uh, what kind of got you into basketball as a whole, but specifically the scouting space uh, and making YouTube videos, kind of detailing your thoughts and findings and things like that? Yeah, so a few years ago, I mean, the real start is just like my entire life. Nobody wants to hear yeah. your life story. Like mm-hmm. I always grew up <laughs> loving basketball um, in every single way from playing to, you know, studying stats and numbers. Every, I could tell you everything. There's a point in time I could probably tell you the numbers of almost everybody in the league, like just random stuff like that. That was like my kind of, kind of thing. Um, so obviously having that in there and then playing um, and, and just doing all those things. But in college, I decided to start a YouTube channel um and I called it Hoop and Elect, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that exactly or what direction it was going to go in. I liked um, to do a number of things. I didn't know what exactly it was going to end up being, but um, I saw I did some draft writing and, and things of that nature. I wanted mm-hmm. to get better as an editor, so I had to work on my like Adobe Premiere Photoshop skills, so I ended up doing a lot of highlights. I wanted to bring viewers to the channel so I could have that because um, it's so difficult to start a YouTube channel from scratch. Anybody who's even tried knows um, 
how hard that is, um, especially when you're not very good at, at it at that moment. So I was doing all that kind of stuff. But in 2020, I decided to take some of the scouting reports and draft written draft work that I used to do and put it into video form. And they didn't they honestly didn't take off immediately. Um, it was kind of a slow grind. Some of them would get like 50 views, 60 views, but it was something. It was more than I was getting at the time on just random highlights or at least the information-based videos that I was getting at the time because before that, I had did like Alex Caruso highlights or Jonathan Isaac, you know, Ben Simmons passing, and those would go um, in terms of views. That Alex Caruso one got like 700K. But, yeah, so getting into the draft stuff, I started to go from there. And then as the – kind of buzz and the views started to grow. I just kind of went all in on, you know, working on making all the videos better, but also from just like a scouting perspective, you know, talking to other people in the community, studying what they like to do and they bring to the table, kind of taking pieces of that and and putting it into what I did. Uh, so that was kind of the, the real impetus from it. And then I've been kind of doing that since. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, just making, trying to get better at everything, making mistakes, getting better here and there uh, along the way. So that's kind of the the, the gist of, of how I got to, to this point now. For sure. And if anybody is like somehow by chance not familiar with your work, I, I highly recommend checking it out. I think you do a phenomenal job just from like, I, like I, I'm not great with YouTube stuff. Like that's something that other people on our team always handle and take care of. So from like a video and an editing standpoint, it always looks great, always very polished, very professional. Um, but I also just think like from an analysis standpoint, you do a phenomenal job. Like you've done a great job with early identification on talent. Your boards have been great. Uh, your reasoning is always really sound. So just kind of the best of both worlds. Great, great video editing, great content, but also very, very informative and a great way to uh, to catch up on the draft. If you're somebody, especially who's like not, you know, following from the outside, it's easy to digest. And then your individual videos are a lot more thorough. So whether you're looking for something that's just like, hey, I need an overview of, of who's in this class, or if you want to like go deep and get a real dissection of a player, it's it's great for that too. So make sure you're checking out everything Keandre is putting out over there. Uh, this week, the format, we're going a little bit different. So we want to talk about some guys that unfortunately we're not going to see for a while. We had a slew of injuries that kind of took out a bunch bunch of, of top prospects uh, in this class, unfortunately. So let's start with Alexander Saar, uh, who's playing for the Perth Wildcats. He's going to be out for a little bit here. Um, number one on my board was number one on the board that you just released recently. Um, where I kind of want to start with this conversation is what has Alex Saar in the number one spot for you personally and a lot of people are kind of down on this draft. They're saying, you know, this draft isn't very good. So for context, like where would you have ranked Alex Starr in, in some of the last couple drafts just for, for context and how good of a prospect you think he is? Yeah, so I think in the last several drafts, he would be more comfortably in that like five to seven-ish range, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe like high end, depending on the team, like you get into like four, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think – when you look at him as a prospect, just obviously the defensive versatility, the things that he's able to do on that end of the floor is kind of a lot of what you're looking for from a modern big man. Um, and I think that's where like the most appeal of him as a prospect comes. But then you also look, mm -hmm. you know, athletically and what he can do uh, offensively in terms of flashes. Obviously, he's still an 18-year-old playing in the NBL, which is a solid league. Um, so he's kind of figuring it out. And just you look at his, like, per-minute production just points-wise, um, it's pretty pretty ridiculous. And mm -hmm. given the, the context of that team and then kind of just 
still focusing on some of the vets and him not getting like the full, you know, here are the keys, like a LaMelo ball or something. And they're just running offense through him or something like that. Um, that, uh, I think you look at all the, the combination of things, him just being able to potentially stretch the floor and put the ball on the floor at times, make a play, and the growth that he's made from OTE to now. And you just kind of look at all those combinations, and he's one of those one of those guys. Obviously, there are some still concerns in there, like positionally, and if he doesn't shoot it well enough, where do you put that and how that fits in um, with him strength-wise and if he can handle playing center uh, at the NBA level. So you got those kind of pieces, but – I think in this class right now, he he's the number one guy just for kind of those reasons in comparison to everybody else. For sure. Yeah. I I think you got to hit the nail on the head. I, I and especially with like that range. Like I feel like last year I probably would have had him in that like six, five, five to eight range, like just right right yeah. in there. I, I do think in this class he he's a pretty comfortable number one to me. Like I don't want to say that nobody can knock him off the throne depending on what happens between now and then, but I think that if it does come together, the value proposition of, of what you're getting out of him is huge. Cause like you mentioned the defensive versatility, I like his frame a lot um, because he is, he is seven feet tall or seven one. I think it's his listed height. He's still on the slim side, but he's, he's got those broad shoulders and like even compared to what he looked like in OTE, I think he's mm-hmm. really started to put his body together. Well, like I am pretty comfortable with him playing the center position eventually uh, in the NBA, even if maybe he is a bit more before out of the gate. Um, I think the the three point volume for a player his age is really good. Like just like on a per one hundred basis, the amount of three pointers that he's attempting is is really high. Uh, so even at twenty eight percent, you know, not not a number that's going to blow you away, but for a young big man, that's still an above average number for a big man prospect. So I, I think the chances that he shoots are between the volume, the willingness to take the open shot. I, I kind of think he's going to get there as a shooter. Um, I, I kind of like his ability to put it on the deck, I think is the other thing that really stands out and separates him from me. Even guys like Mitch Creek, who's like a vet in that league, that's more of a traditional wing who got a cup of coffee in the NBA. Like Sars been able to blow by a guy like that. Um, really like his touch inside. I think my one gripe with him might just be like overall physicality. Like I think there's times where he can be a little contact averse. I think it shows up most on the glass. Like he's not, he's not been a, a bad rebounder or anything like that, but I think there's times where he's a little passive. I want to see him throw a body on somebody. Um, he can get bossed around inside a little bit um, when it's time to rebound, but defensively, like he's, he's just getting into so much with his length. And I think that it's really started to show up his, his feel and awareness and pick and roll settings where he's just taking away so much with how he's using his length. Yeah. There's not an easy pass to the roller. Um, he's still kind of walling off the rim. There's not an easy place to get with him on the court when he's he's a big man in a ball screen setting. Um, how comfortable of a number one is he for you on your board? And like, what are the things that you would like to see him maybe add or be more consistent with when he does come back from this injury? Yeah, so he's at least for the time being, he's, he's comfortably there. I think there are like, there's room for um, some others who maybe have a little bit of a higher ceiling in terms of like creation who could, I could see them like in the second half of this, this uh, season, being able to Mm -hmm. uh, convince over what he does and he brings to the table. Um, It'll probably take a little bit more significantly than what, like what he brings right now. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he's he's pretty comfortably there, at least for the moment. He's obviously not like a Victor Wimbanyama level of, of you just yeah. – or, you know, 
fully bought in. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I like I like what he he does there, and I think you know over the when he comes back from the the hip injury, I believe um, is what it is. Uh, I th- I think you know mainly it's just gonna be. Um, obviously the shot, I just want to see like how confident he continues to be, especially when they get into a little bit more important games, uh, you know, league wise. And also kind of some of the things you mentioned uh, in terms of the physicality on the glass and just being able to bring that motor consistently because, you know, in the past that was something that was at least a little shaky. Obviously the OTE context kind of throws everything off for uh, (laughs) most guys, but um, just kind of some of the things that he does that lo- are looked at as small, but for a big man are very important. So just kind of the, some of those little things and just seeing how well he shoots it in the volume uh, down the stretch. For sure. Yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at as well. Let's move on to Nikola Topic. Uh, he had a knee injury, uh, and it's really unfortunate. The context of him, so he, he was playing uh, for Mega in Serbia, has this tremendous start to the season, gets called back to the EuroLeague team that had him out on loan. Um, and he's uh, Red Star is that team. Uh, plays two games with Red Star and injures his knee. Uh, so now he's going to be out for a while as well. And it's disappointing too because we were just starting to see him against higher level opposition. Uh, so that's kind of where I want to start. So he's number two on your board. He was number two on my most recent board as well. I, I think with Topic, there's some shooting concerns across all leagues. He's a he's a six six guard, um, and he is twenty eight point two percent from three across the various leagues this year. But overall, he's still a very efficient scorer. He's averaging sixteen point four points per game across those leagues, and he just gets in, into the paint all the time. Like he he puts really serious pressure on the rim. Uh, his effective field goal percentage was still fifty four point seven. Um, which is like a good number. Like if for a college guard prospect of guys who have stuck in the NBA over the last eight years, that ranks out like on the above average side of the spectrum. Um, so he was doing a really good job with that, was getting the free throw line a ton, drawing a lot of fouls. His vision on the go is excellent. Did you get a chance to see either of those two EuroLeague games? And if so, did you have any concerns or did you feel better about kind of your ranking with him based on, on those performances? Honestly, I didn't really take too much from it. Obviously, he didn't. It wasn't like a huge sample. And those yeah. first couple games, when you're in such a new situation, young player, and you're playing like a different role and behind like somebody like Tia Dosich, who is like point God out <laughs> there. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was just kind of just trying to see things out, feel things out based off of what he showed. Obviously, there was some things in kind of his handle and just. Um, picking his spots just a little bit better and knowing and understanding the level of defenders that are in front of him and just the the scope of the defense as a whole. But I was, you know, pleased by some of the drives he had and some of the passes that he made um, in those limited minutes. Um, Obviously still want to see him defensively and see how how he looks there, um, especially on ball and just handling those players. Um, And just kind of the emphasis that he takes in the, the, where is more important in this, in this sort of level and stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't take too much like overall based off of the sample that we had seen before. I just was kind of yeah. interested to see what the third, fourth, fifth game looked like, but obviously, exactly. you know, 
Yeah, that's and that's why it's so disheartening, right? Like it, it was so I was really fired up. Like I thought this was going to be such an interesting situation because he'd been he'd been dominant in the Adriatic League, and now we're going to get to see him against the better level of opposition, and we just get this kind of taste of it. Now, unfortunately, due to injury, it's it's kind of taken away. Um, so in those two games, he was two for five and one, one from three, one for three in the other. Um, I, he did have four assists in one game and three assists in the other and, and two combined turnovers. So seven assists, two turnovers in those games. I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much to take away from it either. I thought there were some issues, I think to me, like you mentioned the handle. I think that was definitely part of it. Uh, but it just felt like his rhythm and getting used to the speed and like knowing kind of how and when to explode and, and how to attack out of a ball screen. Like that seemed like it was a bit of an adjustment. You could kind of tell he was feeling out that sort of thing, but his recognition um, quickly recognizing when off ball defenders were slipping up or out of position, like that stuff was all really there Um, Mm. defensively. I thought, I thought you were spot on like his recovery and just like defensive first step do look a little bit slow against the better caliber of competition. And it wasn't a strength for him before. Uh, so yeah. that's going to be really interesting to monitor when he comes back. Um, I think for me, the two things that I want to see when he comes back, and it's so tricky with it being a knee too, is how is the jumper going to be looking? Is the shot going to you know continue to progress? Because it's been sort of up and down. I think at one point he had his percentage up closer to around 34%. Um, now it's back in this 28 range and then also just defensively and and it's going to be tricky obviously like moving around on a on a knee when you get back but um what are are you kind of hoping to see at the EuroLeague level when he's back yeah so i think you you hit on most of them obviously mm-hmm. i kind of want to see just matchup wise what he what he does defensively like where they they put him mm-hmm. um as one thing and just all those the other elements that you already mentioned um, obviously the shot is going to be key, especially cause I think there's like a, he's able, he's at least capable of shooting like pull-ups. Like you see him back out yeah. and, and do that mm-hmm. type of stuff several times. Obviously the percentages went down over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the confidence and he's at least gotten into it pretty smoothly. Whereas we can look at somebody like Isaiah Collier, where it's not necessarily the same level of, uh, mm-hmm. ease or, or confidence in some of those um shots so definitely want to see that um piece of it if it if he's able to get those opportunities reading how they're playing him in pick and roll um and also some of the in-between stuff like sure will will he get to obviously there's different you have different opportunities and ways to problem solve in a pick and roll depending on how they're playing you can you get to the line um draw a foul all the way or do mm-hmm. you need to get to the floater um as that shot just depending on how they're playing him um, and, and what big in personnel is there. Um, but I do want to see some of that because it felt like at times he kind of forced things at the rim or get into uh, opportune or not the greatest of angles at the rim. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I so think that's that spot time. on. Yeah, because it does seem like it's kind of rim or bust for him a lot of the times. Right. And that was like one of my gripes with him. And one of the reasons I was sort of slower to buy in at the start of the year was it felt like, all right, well, he's getting a lot of these foul calls right now, but like some of these driving angles are so wide that it just feels like he's kind of lobbing something up. And 
And I kind of thought like the effective field goal percentage was going to tank. Like I, I early on in the year, I was like, there's no way he's going to be a guy that's like 57% on twos. If these are the kind of shots yeah. that he's taking and he has a touch to do it. But I think that was one of the things that we saw at the Euro league level is it's like, all right, now you're getting an even worse angle. Like yeah. now it's, it's even tougher for where to get where you want on the court. Um, how do you feel about the three-point shot with him? Because I agree with you. I feel better about it with Collier. And, like, Topic has, like, this great free-throw shooting track record, too. He's 88% on free-throws across this season. Um, something I've been kind of, like, thinking about with him was a guy like Tyrese Halbert. He was, like, a poor off-the-dribble shooter in college. But he's really good off the catch. And I almost wonder if that can be, like, a path for him. Is like, he might not be the most explosive, the most dynamic, but at least if he can have gravity as like a second side guy to use that shot fake and then get into stuff, even if he's not like the most dangerous pull-up guy, is that something that can help kind of compensate for it out of the gate? How do you, like, are you, how do you rank on like a scale of one to 10? How confident are you that he's like an average NBA shooter? Yeah, I think I would probably go, I would probably go with like six or seven ish. Mm -hmm. Um, Mechanically, I don't think that there's too much to like gripe about. I think that he's um, solid there in that perspective. Obviously, you want to see it up closer. But um, I think that there's viable mechanics there. And then, again, back to the pull-up, like he shot it so confidently in uh, you know a couple of different settings and against different um, teams that I am at least confident that he's going to improve in the future. So mm-hmm. like you were saying, if he can just be somebody who um, is able to knock down, a, that's that's going to change like a lot of what he's able to do um, in, in lineups he's able to play with. If he can just become a, a little bit more capable of a, a catch and shoot uh, three-point guy, he was 27% there um, mm-hmm. playing with Mega. So, I mean, There's only 33 attempts. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, that's just going to be something that I'll watch – watch for too but if we're just looking at the pieces and then like looking more of a long-term lens especially given his age one of the youngest guys in this class um i think that there's at least reason and again going back to the free throws there's reason to to have more a little more confidence in it totally so so we've touched on isaiah collier a little bit let's let's kind of hit him pretty quick here so collier usc point guard listed at six five um 205 210 really strong frame physically um Real kind of tough go of it for him. He he has this big opening game against Kansas State. Gets rocketed up to number one on a lot of boards. Has dealt with turn- turnover issues all year, um, but they really started to get to people, I think, a lot more when his outside shot stopped falling. And then people were like, all right, well, now he's turning it over. He can't, you know, struggling to shoot. Not a great free throw shooter. Um, defensive effort comes and goes. Like, weirdly, a, a pretty poor rebounder. Like, has a rebound defensive rebounding percentage below eight. Um, so like Rob Gillingham, like someone who gets knocked for his size a lot, actually like a much better rebounder than Isaiah Collier. So that 8% defensive rebound rate, like historically we're talking about guys like, uh, like a Davion Mitchell or like a Bryn Forbes more like those are the kind of guys that, that rebound in that tier. So very odd given his frame. Um, but like has this really nice kind of run right before this injury, he has a game with seven assists and no turnovers against Cal four assists and only two turnovers against Stanford. Like it really felt like he was clicking, had a down game against Washington state, but it really felt like maybe he was turning a corner again. And now he goes down at this injury. Um, where was, where was Collier on your most recent board? I feel like I, I've seen a lot of people really all the way out on him. I'm not there yet. Like I, I, I still think he's a really interesting prospect just because of those, those physical tools. And when it's really gelling, it's awesome. He's great at the rim can kind of get wherever he wants a lot of the time. 
Uh, where where are you at with Isaiah Collier at this point? Yeah, so I think I believe I ranked him ninth on the okay. most recent board. Yeah, right, so around where I am, I, I think I've got him still, like eleven or twelve. Yeah, he's still in that kind of that sort of TBD group of prospects where I'm not like all the way in um, necessarily, but I'm just kind of seeing what what happens. So that's why the injury was so kind of devastating. Like you were talking about, especially with this USC team, if, if Boogie Ellis is going to miss time and they're going to have no, no, if you, if anybody watched that game yesterday, it was rough. they have no real options for offense. Um, mm-hmm. At least in that second half, that was brutal. Uh, it's going to be really tough because if they're losing at that point of the season, what is the incentive really for him to come back and then even potentially hurt his stock even further um, yeah. if he's, you know, not a hundred percent at that point of the year. So we, there's a lot going on, but yeah. So I think that there's, like you said, he's a big physical downhill driver, be able to make plays in a lot of ways that most other guys in this class really just can't. Um, obviously there's the turnovers and some of the decision-making that has, has popped up uh, over the course of this season that you want to see him continue to get better at. And it looked like he was uh, at least making progress in that, which, or at least, you know, taking the the initiative or recognizing it, uh, listening to some of their post-game interviews from both Andy, Andy Enfield and, and Collier himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wanted to see, see some of that, um, uh, over the over the course of the season and obviously with that not being there this time it kind of makes it a little bit um shakier you know the concern is there in, in a bigger way so um yeah i don't know there's just like a lot there but until we were mm-hmm. able i don't know what to do now because the december was so <laughs> rough in a lot of ways yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's so yeah, frustrating so- yeah because in like yeah the, the highs are so high and then he has this rough month and like with a lot of guys, I mean, the sample is always so small early in the year that whenever I'm kind of confused about a prospect, my my default mentally is always just like, well, we'll see how it shakes out in conference play. And now like we're not really going to get much of conference play. And I think to your point, too, that is a, a phenomenal point that I hadn't really considered much is that like, is he going to even come back? Because this is a USC team that struggled quite a bit. They're probably not a tournament team, even, yeah. you know, the way things were headed before. Um, and if that's the case, just like, is he going to rush back? Like, he's probably certainly not going to play in the the new version of the NIT with a bunch of high major teams in it. Um, yeah. yeah, So is it going to be a thing where he just stick sits it out? That that's interesting. I I'd be intrigued to see how, how that goes. I think, Um, yeah. So just like, it's some of the similar things with, with Nicola, like we want to see what he does as a shooter. Obviously he had that good game against, um, Stanford where he went three for four from three yep. and hit him in a, in a couple of different ways. Some of the in-between game stuff, I think is really important for him just being able to take them. And it's all, it's also like connected to some of the turnovers, just knowing when to drive full speed and, and learn to play with a little more pace and to pick and roll and navigate mm-hmm. tight spaces a little bit better. Cause he can kind of go zero to hundred and then things, whatever happens from there happens. If you cut off that baseline and he's not able to make that pass, to either corner of the window and things start to go a little bit haywire. So, or Mm -hmm. there is a pass there on the interior. He's not necessarily able to make those at the highest clip that you want to. And obviously some of the bigs take, take some responsibility for that, but some of those things I wanted to see. And then also um, the defensive, just bring it a little bit more, you know, some of the stuff there, you just, 
for any player, not just a prospect, like just a college basketball down to high school, whatever, you got to be a little bit more attentive and, and bring it and um, take on some of those challenges. So that was all the stuff I wanted to see. But now that we, we were sure. kind of stuck in limbo. Yeah. Yeah, I think the defense stuff is, is the spot on. Because, yeah, there's times where it's like physically he should just be able to throw his chest on guys. And, like, that should kind of be game over at the college level. And instead, like, he'll play too far back. Um, he doesn't make, like, as many plays off the ball as you feel like he should be able to, given his, his kind of physical prowess. Like, he should be a little bit more dominant in that respect. Um, like, weird, like, communication lapses and mishaps and things like that. I think your points about the passing were spot on. Like, there are times where he just plays way too fast. Like, the, the way I phrase it in my notes is, like, there are times where he is just too much of a bulldozer. Like, there are times where yeah. he just does not look to counter, uh, and he'll, like, that'll cause turnovers. He'll get called for offensive fouls. Like, he's got, it, like, when he is slowing down and, like, keeping his head up a little bit more, like, it's it's awesome. Like, that version yeah. of Isaiah Collier is just a tremendous player. Uh, and, yeah, like, you mentioned just, like, that that blend of, of pace and hesitation kind of needs to be there. And, and I think he gets inaccurate as a passer, too, when he gets fed up like that. Like, a lot of his passes get tipped. A lot of them aren't on the money. Um, a lot of them get intercepted. Like, he needs to just kind of slow down uh, at times and, and really kind of take his time with the ball and, and, and make those uh, even just like the more simple reads at times too. Like mm-hmm. it feels like he gets predetermined being like, I want to make that yeah. spray out and it's not there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's capable. It's like why Isaiah Collier is so enticing. Cause I think from the outside, you're like, Oh, well, like he's this guard. He's not shooting that well. And you're, you know, dog in his effort, whatever. It's like, I like when this, when this guy buys in, like he, he can pretty clearly make the reads. Like there are times where he's yeah. able to do it. And NBA teams, like you look at a guy like Keontae George, who had made some frustrating decisions last year and is doing a much better job of that in the NBA. And it's easy to look at Isaiah Collier and, and see a lot of those same things and be optimistic about what he can become at the next level. Yeah, that's why I'm not fully because like if you just look at December, or there's a lot of reasons you could be out on him as a player. Mm-hmm. But you do when he does bring that and he does have the ability to get past people in the ways that he does or make just make the passes. Like, obviously, there's some things that sometimes it's not the right read, but, like, not everybody can make that pass all the way up to the other corner with that kind of velocity or, um, you know, whatever the case is in transition, those types of things. Um, so that that's really why I'm still I, – I hope he's able to come back be cut for the, a lot of those reasons. I just want to see it. Me too. I, I'm right there with you. We, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about KJ Simpson and, and a guy that I've been kind of interested in, James Madison's uh, Terrence Edwards. So stick with us. We'll be right back on the other side. All right. So I'm, I'm going to throw it to you and your guy first here. Um, whenever whenever we're putting together the show, whoever the guest is, I'm saying, you know, who's the guy that you've been focused on, working on something about, or just a player you, you've been kind of thinking about a lot? Uh, and the player that you brought up is KJ Simpson, who is a 6'2 guard at Colorado. Uh, had sort of an up and down year last year. It started really hot and dipped a little bit. This year, he has been phenomenal, uh, averaging 19.3 points per game, almost five rebounds a game, 4.2 assists to 2.1 turnovers, 1.9 steals. And he's doing this all efficiently 51.4% from the field, 46.2% from three. 86.7% from the free throw line. Um, what have you been seeing with KJ Simpson and what made him a guy that you kind of want to bring to the table and talk about here? Yeah. So I've been watching a lot of Colorado stuff for um, 
obviously Cody Williams, but mm-hmm. you know, along the way, KJ Simpson has just popped a ton in a lot of different ways, you know, for some of the stuff that you mentioned already. You know, he's also currently 16th in box plus minus in the country. Um, somebody who has been efficient in a lot of different ways, like you said, 46%, seven three-pointers per 100 possessions. Um, but really, I think the on the broader scale of things, the reason I've been um, sort of impressed with him or I think that he should get a little bit more notoriety is just some kind of the year-over-year improvement right yes. now. Like you said, mm-hmm. he was – he was a, he was hot last year in the beginning of the year, kind of tailed off quite a bit in his first year as a starter and getting more of those minutes and responsibilities. But if we just look at, let's just start with his finishing from last year. He's at 49%. It was one of the biggest areas that he needed to uh, make an improvement on. Now, he still mm-hmm. showed some of the craft and those types of things um, as a driver. But right now, from 49% to 60% right now, and it's at around 61% in the half court. So we're seeing a substantial yeah. jump there, right? Um, and he's getting to the rim quite a bit too. Like that's 40.2% of his half court shots. Like that's, that's a high number. It's not one of those things where, yeah, he's shooting 60% at the rim, but that's, you know, he's getting there, you know, once every 10 shots, like that is, he's pressuring the rim and finishing, which is. Yeah. Huge. And he's, he's not necessarily like the, the like burstiest, like first step kind of guy. He just uses great pace, you know, uses screens really well. Um, he does have a, a solid, a good first step, I would say, mm-hmm. and just a, is able to use his off arm to, um, you know, get downhill and pass defenders and everything like that. And he has a good handle. So we look at the finishing that he's made over year over year. Look at the off the dribble numbers. Um, obviously, another again capable of getting to certain spots on the floor and shooting those shots. But twenty nine percent total, twenty nine for ninety nine on the year up to 39.6%, nearly 40%. He's made 21 shots off the dribble uh, jumpers uh, so far this year, you know, just eight less than the entire year last year. And then also I think one of the things that's maybe the biggest or most significant is just his ability to play off the ball and off of, you know, the way that their offense has worked this year, just kind of uh, moving in around, playing through different people, some of the weave stuff in, in motion. Um, he's a, He's been shooting – 40 nearly 44 percent on catch and shoot threes um up from 20 nearly about 26 percent last year so um just his ability to play and affect the game in multiple ways Uh, obviously he's a smaller guard but um affect the game in multiple ways play on and off the ball compete on defense obviously he's going to have some of those difficulties but i've liked everything that he's done so far this year and um, I think if he's able to to keep it up in Pac-12 play, um, he'll probably get even more draft buzz um, over this time, especially with all the eyes on uh, Cody Williams and also secondarily uh, Tristan DeSilva. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm right there with you. I, I think he's a guy that I, I probably had too low on my last board. Um, I would probably have him early second round at, at this stage. Um I'm kind of with you on like the small guard thing. It's, it's really tricky for those guys to navigate. Uh, what I will give KJ on the defensive end is I think his hands are tremendous. Like he's yeah. really, really good with his hands and he's very quick. Like does he at times gamble himself out of position? Like sure. But I, I do think he's a very competitive player. I think he's a very sharp player um, on that side of the floor. Uh, and I think the rebounding matters quite a bit too, just because he is a guy that can, yeah. can lead the break. Like when he grabs the ball off a rebound, it, it matters a lot more than when a different player, you know, a center grabs it and then they take it to him. And now he's got to dribble the ball off the court. Like he, he is a grab and go transition threat. Um, 
on the offensive end, I, I think to your point, yeah, he's not this wild athlete, but I do think there's a real smoothness to him mm-hmm. off the dribble. Like, and this, this is going to be a bizarre comp, but I, this is more just to illustrate how I think he finds ways to be effective. Like one thing when I was scouting Vince Williams Jr. that, that stood out was Vince Williams was not a good athlete. Like I think KJ, yeah. from like a first step standpoint is obviously in a different world than, than Vince Williams. But he was always very good at understanding like how to use directional changes and how to use defenders momentum against them. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that shows up in, in KJ Simpson, whether it's um, off a ball screen or just acting off the catch and kind of going from there. Um, really good with that sort of thing. I think something that also stands out with him is I think that he is sort of tailor-made for that modern off-guard role in the NBA where maybe you have this more heliocentric creator. Maybe you've got your your Jason Tatum, your LeBron, your Luka, who, whoever it may be, Jokic, whoever. Um, he grades out really well from a spot-up standpoint, like 95th mm-hmm. percentile on spot-up, 90th percentile on handoffs for synergy, like – he really knows how to catch and shoot. There is no dip on that shot when he gets it off the catch. He gets it off in a hurry. And he's one of those guys, that, like I mentioned, like he knows how to use his speed and directional changes so that he's a guy that knows how to attack really well off the catch. He's not a blur like a Tyrese Maxey, uh, but he knows how to take advantage of those situations. And I think playing alongside guys like Tristan De Silva, a good passer like an Eddie Lampkin, a Cody Williams, obviously, mm-hmm he is more than comfortable playing off of other people. And I think that's something that matters a lot when we're talking about point guard prospects, because a guy, and like, I'm not saying this to like speak ill of him, but a player like Judah Mintz is a guy where like, it's a very on ball role right now. So it's a little unclear as to like, well, okay, how, how does this work without the ball? And it's not his fault. Like if I'm coaching Syracuse, I'm running everything through him too, for the most part. Right. Uh, But with KJ, it's like we've seen what it looks like when there are other good players on the floor, and we've seen that he's okay taking that backseat. Yeah, I think, you know, those are all great points. Um, Just kind of the improvements in in a lot of different ways, being able to to function and be effective in a lot of different ways has been um, a great thing to see from him. And to the rebounding point, that was some one of the things I liked a lot about Craig Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. is – he was always super active on the glass, um, really solid in, you know, passing lanes, hands wise. Um, that type of stuff really stood out, um, even with some of the questions about him, like as a shooter and um, some of the other things when he was playing at Wichita State. But I think that stuff matters, especially when we're talking about the smaller guards and being able to stick and um you know, find a niche in the in the NBA in some kind of way. He's done a lot of that stuff and I think it just bodes well for him as a, as a player. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I'm very small guard skeptical. Um, yeah. But I, I think KJ has got a, a really good shot. Um, the other thing you mentioned with the year over year improvement is I just think his process as a decision maker is right. like night and day. Like there were times mm-hmm. last year where I felt like if teams were like blitzing a ball screen or putting a little bit more pressure on him, like some of the decisions he'd make, like, some, it was occasionally like biting off more than he could chew kind of stuff. It was sort of forcing things. Where, like, I just feel like there's a level of composure that he's displayed mm-hmm. this year that was not there last year. And I, and I always think that's like really good to see whenever like a player is sort of, it, it just seems from the outside that they're like aware of what their flaws were like. And he had a rough shooting year last year, but I thought the shot always, always looked really good. And I was kind of yeah. happy to see about the shot coming around. It's in the playmaking. That's really surprised me as far as like, Whoa, that is a lot different than it was a year ago. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that there is a just a level of like patience and awareness, especially even now, like working through some of these games, the way teams are starting to play him defensively a little mm-hmm. bit differently than they may might have in the past. Um, just kind of working through those things and making the the right play or just the the easy play, you know, the pass to make the next pass. Um, that type of stuff has been a lot better, and he's limited turnovers. Um, in a in a pretty you know significant way, I think his what is turnover percentage at right now? Fourteen and a half ish. So yeah, you know, really really Great solid for, for, for the usage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the usage that he has. So I've I've liked um, it a lot. So let's so let's say you're an NBA team. You're picking in the second round. You're you're eyeing a point guard. KJ Simpson's kind of your guy. If when you draft him, are you looking at one of those like four year guarantee kind of second round contracts that a couple of those guys got, or are you more like? Hey, the small guard thing has been hit or miss. I'd feel more comfortable with the two way. Like if if you're a front office, where would you be at on that kind of decision? Yeah, I think it, I guess it would be who my team is, like mm-hmm. who the the personnel is in the backcourt. But I would probably just small guard wise, I'm probably leaning two way. That's what um, I'm gonna do. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. You know, and yeah, also yeah. just the, the personnel. Well, yeah, yeah, because that's going to be a big factor. And I think, like, how many guys stay in is a factor, too. Like, if right, we have a, right. a situation like last year, where he goes back, like, he, he, there's a yeah. world that he could work himself in the first round. That might not matter at all. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to monitor and kind of see how he finishes up the year. Because I, I think he did a really nice job, especially when they were kind of down multiple starters to kind of lead that offense. I love I love his confidence and his swagger, too. Like, I... I know that's like a really old man take, but I, I really like when I feel like a player is confident and believes in themselves a lot. And, and I, I get that vibe from him too. So uh, let's jump over to uh, Terrence Edwards here. So he's, he's the guy who I wrote about this coming week. So by the time this is out on podcast feeds, uh, that article will be up on no NBA.com. Um, this is more occasionally I write about guys. I'm like, this guy's way underrated. Like we got to talk about this guy. Uh, Edwards is more of just like, a, I really like watching this guy play and I want an excuse to watch more of the film. Um, to me, it, it just should be kind of straight up and, and honest about where I have him. He's a guy that's been like the seventies and eighties for me. He's more of a guy that I would consider for like an exhibit 10 or maybe a, an undrafted two way, depending on how he looks in summer league and training camp and things like that. Um, but I think he's a really interesting player. I think he's a really exciting player. And similarly to KJ Simpson, he's one of those guys that's been on a, a real upward trajectory. Um, was not highly touted coming out of high school at all. Uh, was a three-star recruit, no high major offers. Um, sort of plays this bench role at, at James Madison. Uh, even for, for most of last year, he was sixth man of the year in the Sun Belt last year. This is his first year as a starter. Um, his team has a tremendous record. I believe they are either 15 and one or or 14 and two, something along those lines. Yeah. 15 and two on the year. Uh, I've been ranked as high as 18th and he's, he's been the leading man for them. Edwards is in that sort of lanky slithery shooting guard kind of mold, uh, six foot six, um, Dirty Dancer in the chat. This podcast is the official home of talking about guys who will play in the Invitational Tournament. Exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I see Edwards being. So uh, 17.1 points per game, 42.6% from the field, 34.5% from three, just under 80% from the free throw line. Five rebounds a game. Uh, kind of a sneaky offensive rebound guy, but another kind of grab-and-go transition threat. Uh, 3.1 assists per game to 2.8 turnovers. 
Edwards has has some pretty obvious flaws. He's got to get better at making decisions. He's another one of those guys who gets too sped up at times on the ball. And this is probably the most he's ever going to be an on-ball lead lead banana for, for a basketball team. Uh, defensively, he's really quick. I like how he gets up to contest. Um, the stats aren't like blow away numbers, but in the past when he's in a lesser role, he defended really well. I think that's something that he can continue to do. The flashes as a, as a playmaker are awesome. Like when he is mixing speeds and keeping his eyes up for teammates, he makes some great lob passes on the go, can spray it out to shooters, sees multiple reads. Um, and the scoring is, is really exciting. It's some really tough step backs can make some tough shots in the mid range can get all the way to the rim has a slither to get downhill. Um, I think like best case scenario, I don't want to throw out Malik Beasley because Malik Beasley is like taking 10 threes a game and making like 95% of them this season. He's unreal. (laughs) But I think I I look at a guy like Aaron Wiggins on the Thunder who's like starting to carve out a rotation role. Maybe a guy like Lonnie Walker. Like there's some of that in there. He has to continue that upward trajectory. He's got to get stronger. Um, But to me, he's just kind of one of these interesting guys that, that nobody's really talked about. Have you seen much of Edwards and and what have been sort of your impressions of him so far? Yeah, I obviously haven't seen as much as as you have. I was impressed early in the year, you know, mm-hmm. the game against I believe it was Michigan State. Yep. Um yeah. Yeah, about 25. I think that he's a like you kind of, you know, touched on. He's a pretty impressive just mover. I like his the way that he moves across the court and just how he's able to to get to certain spots as a scorer. Um I'm curious what you think about him as a finisher, just like it's from <laughs> from like a like a prop. Like what what is the where is the issue most mm-hmm. from from your perspective? I that's what I would be curious about. Yeah, I think it's his frame largely. So this is the big thing that I touched on the article is like he has been really bad at the rim this year. He's like 41.8 percent at the rim in the half court. So like there have been guys that have made it in the NBA that were below 50 and like, and like below 45, even like I, like the guys that, that I mentioned in the article that were in that range were uh, Moses Moody was in that range. Gary Trent was in that range. Um, and I believe Josh green was in that range. A lot of those guys were a lot more kind of athletic and bursty than him. I think the biggest thing is just how his body responds to contact right now. Like he's 190 pounds. Mm-hmm. So he is on the slim side. Like that's like what a lot of NBA point guards weigh. Um, when he gets bumped, he doesn't really keep his touch that well through contact. Like it, the physicality really affects him. Uh, and, and that was true for Moses Moody as well. Um, but I think Moody was obviously younger, had a better frame and was kind of able to fill it out. I think with Edwards, the hope is that he can do two things that he can get stronger because he's at a mid-major program where he probably doesn't have like the best athletic facilities at his disposal. Uh, so that you hope that he can kind of beef up get a little bit stronger, get a little bit tougher. And I think the other part of it is he just takes a lot of shots at the rim. And I think by growing as a playmaker and actually passing out on some of those looks, whether it's a wraparound to the big or a spray out and just taking, taking fewer of those shots at the rim. I think that's the other thing that he could do uh, to improve. And then just anticipating help, which I think again is like, he's not going to be in this sort of star role a lot. So I think he, he doesn't get to pick his spots as much and he's just sort of still adapting to uh, being in a role where like he's the guy that, that's got to, take the most shots on the court um it's it's those three things in combination but that is like the giant problem in the giant hang up in his game right now is that he is a very very poor finisher for a draft prospect um my other big kind of concern with him is that this is like a a difficult 
player type to rise above the pack uh being like a lot of these guys like uh that like that have sort of forward size will sort of just continue to get second chances in the nba so a guy um i'm gonna kind of go through the players list like a guy like cole swider like doesn't stick with the lakers mm-hmm. but the miami heat pick him up because he's six foot eight he's got a good frame and he can shoot where terrence edwards like there is uh uh BJ Boston is like a guy that's on the margins, a guy like Jerome Robinson, like never got over the hump. Like there are a lot of these slender scores that aren't good finishers that aren't quite good enough as playmakers to be a lead guard that are kind of permanently stuck on the margins. And that is like the other big hang up is that if you are in this mold, like you've got to be really, really special to make it. And that's, that's why I have him a little bit lower. So it's going to be a, a tough climb for him, but I think, with the sort of slither that he has um, and the ability to kind of work his way to his spots. If he does get stronger, I, I think he's got a real shot at it. Uh, but that's kind of the big caveat that I throw out there is like, he's, he's really got to get stronger. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I need to watch a little bit more to have a, a stronger opinion, mm-hmm. but just off the the few games that I have seen, um, I do think that there is something there in terms of, the scoring. And I think that it would translate well in terms of like scaling down, um, at least in attacking, in attacking some closeouts and being able to uh, get to things there. Um, but yeah, like the th- like you said, those, those other being able to finish, make certain decisions is going to be, uh, and physically improve is going to be, um, huge for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it helps you that he's been, he's been like really good off the catch from through the last couple of seasons. Like, yeah, I think he's 45% off the catch from three this year he was around like 39 off the catch last year so like that is an area of his game where like he can he can have that second side gravity that'll help him at the next level but yeah the strength the strength just really has to get there for him to kind of get him over that hump um we are going to take our final break here and then we're going to go into some sleepers that have been catching our eye lately I'm, I'm really excited you brought some some really fun names to the table here so we'll be right back on the other side of the break All right, so it's time for the sicko session. This is where we talk about sleepers that we've been interested in. Uh, the first thing that you brought up here uh, was a player on, on Syracuse. You mentioned them earlier. Uh, Malik Brown, who is a very interesting player, 6'8 wing. Uh, length on him. Kind of does a little bit of everything for people who maybe have only paid attention to Judah Mintz or, or haven't seen a lot of Syracuse this year. Give people the breakdown on, on who Malik Brown is and what makes him an interesting prospect. Yeah, so Malik Brown is kind of that he's kind of served as their do it all forward in, in a, some respect, you know, really, really a solid athlete, being able to um, affect the game in a lot of different ways. And my thing with him, like he just almost had a uh, five by five the other day. Um, who was that against? It's Boston Which College. He's like a wreck, like a good team. Yeah. Too. Like Which, it's, it's not like he did this against like a bottom feeder, like low major team. He did it against a real team. Exactly. So that was, uh, and he's been hot lately. It wasn't just that game. You know, I, be, obviously they had a, a rougher game against North Carolina yesterday where they got uh, smacked. But uh, <laughs> before that, you know, having 26 against Duke and, you know, really scoring really well on the interior, at, you know, at a really high level as a, as a sophomore this year being able to kind of serve as a 
you know, somewhat, you know, help side guy and being able to just kind of move around and, and be a, a live body in a lot of different ways for them and be impactful on the glass in a lot of ways. Um, he's been kind of just the, the, so they need more of from different positions, but more of what he brings to the table for them to like get to that next step. And he's been a, a bright spot for them outside of Judah. So um, NBA wise, I'm still kind of uh, not necessarily all in on him. Um, sure. Yeah. And that, and like, that's what we're doing with this segment. Like a lot yeah. of these guys are guys that like might be a couple years away, like guys that we're just sort of interested in. Um, and, and I think that's completely reasonable. Um I, I'm in I'm in sort of a similar place. Like I I think he's fascinating. Like it's so so like re- reductive and old man to say, but like he's just a winner. Like he's one of those guys that just does a little bit of everything that they need on the court. Uh, I think it helps too that he's listed at six eight, and he's one of those guys that just absolutely looks his listed height. Like yeah. there's some guys that you see, and then like they stand next to a guard, and it's like I don't know if that guy's his listed. <laughs> like Malik Brown, I I'm confident is six eight or very close to it. Arms look super long um just constantly generating steals and one of those guys that might not be the biggest body but you you put him on a big and he's going to take on that challenge he's got a real toughness to him um i think his passing is stellar like one of those guys where he's averaging one assist per game on the year but like you mentioned like almost had a five by five the other day like you get him in the right right settings and like he, he can really make some good decisions he sees the floor really well um love what he's able to bring as a passer had that same toughness carries over inside. He's 73.3% on twos this season. Uh, uses that length really well to cup two. One of those guys with a very easy second jump and above the rim finisher. It's easy to see him functioning as a lob target. I think, yeah, to your point where it gets like tricky from the NBA standpoint is just like, what exactly is the NBA role? Um, right. Because like the energy for who doesn't really shoot is something that's kind of going away. Um, exactly. He, yeah, he's 88% from the free throw line. He's only taken seven threes on the year. He's made two of them. So like not terrible. Is the jumper kind of the thing that like you would want to see to, to more buy into the NBA fit, like in the, in the coming seasons, is that like the main thing that you would say you're looking for? Yeah, that's the, that's far and away number one on the list, because if we start talking about him shooting more threes in the future, like not even honestly, making them at a high clip, just improving mechanically and just a little bit more fluidly within uh, their offense and just taking them off the catch. We have a different conversation with what he's able to do and bring. Um, I think that's kind of the same thing with like a, a JT topping um, that I'm yes. kind of looking for well, long-term in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of like the NBA role of that, that mold of player, because it does get difficult um, at least in the modern NBA for, for them to have a, a spot. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the main thing that I would be be looking for. But like you said, with the passing, some I've liked a lot of that in just in terms of the flashes doesn't always end up in um, assists. I had, I need to look up what Syracuse is in assists as a team because I can't say that I would guess it's very high. But, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, too, when you were talking about how, like, the percentage doesn't need to be crazy high. Like, I, I, the volume just kind of has to get there because, like, Obviously, like, there is a league average number from three, but the reason it's league average is because there are guys who are below average because they have other things they can do on the court to compensate for the fact that they're not the best two-point shooter. And, and I think Malik Brown could be one of those guys with that interior toughness, the, the offensive rebounding, the the defense. Um, the shot, just like looking at it on synergy, it's not like broken. Like it's not one of the shots that you see and it's like, oh, that looks terrible. It's just kind of slow. And, and it's just yeah. I, I where the confidence is with it. 
Uh, that's got to come along. But I, I do agree that I think he's one of the more interesting long-term guys because if if the shot does speed up and it's something that he takes a little bit more confidently, like that type of forward is a guy who's on a lot of winning teams. Like he's, he's just got to be a little bit more willing with it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hop to, to this player next, uh, who is one of my sleepers this week because he's also sort of a shooting concerns guy. Uh, that's Matt Cross on UMass. He is um, just a guy who does everything. <laughs> uh, and he's got an NBA body. He's, he's 6'7", 225, uh, can really get up, can finish above the rim. Big impact on the offensive glass, like re- offensive rebounds, like a power forward. Good defensive rebounder. A lot of savvy in terms of playmaking both for himself and other people. Like has this sort of deep counter bag to, to get to spots inside. But also really sees the floor well. Has an assist rate over 20 on the season. Um, turns it over a little bit, but I think part of that is, is the, the lead, lead playmaking role thing. Um, but 62.5% on twos because he just is able to get where he wants by by hook by crook by effort by craft whatever it is he's going to get there averaging almost three offensive rebounds a game uh big impact on the defensive glass as well really good defender great feet uh good toughness very hard to move which i think is something that matters a, a lot um guards up well has the feet to guard down it's it's just kind of the shot with him for me like he's got a bpm of 9.4 like this is a guy who's just like really clearly knows how to play has the steal rates the block rates like everything you could want in a player is there it's just the shot uh he's 31 percent on the year taking 2.8 per game it's been a roller coaster over his career 40 percent, 28 percent, 35 percent, now 31 he hits a couple from nba range every now and then and i'm like this guy's gonna figure it out and then he just, he just goes back to not make it again <laughs> uh any any kind of thoughts on on matt cross as a prospect yeah, so I just recently – I haven't watched as much as him as you uh, to this point yet either, but I just recently watched him against Dayton where he had yeah, yeah. Um, the 18 and 14. He was everywhere on the glass, you know, really um, big time in that game. I almost pulled that that went off. And obviously I saw him a little bit last year um, playing with um, R.J. Luis and, in, in, you know, having the success they did last year. But, yeah, I agree. There's like – his ability to do a number of different things at that size has been really, you know, really intriguing. And even with like, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about the the shot, honestly, because again, I do need to watch a little bit more to have like a, a stronger opinion on it, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I can't say I hate it. Honestly. Either. Like, yeah. And that's why I feel like I keep coming back to him. Like every time I make a board, I've got him in that like, 70 ish range because it's like i i feel like that could start falling at a moment's notice yeah so if we i guess you know again once i get to watch a little more i feel like i have a you know stronger opinion about that but if if he can continue you know taking about three three ish four ish a game over the course of the season stay above 30 to you know maybe get hot a couple games get back to that 35 range mm-hmm. i think that he's going to get a, a lot more interest than he's getting talked about right now so For definitely sure. definitely somebody to at least highlight mm-hmm. uh let's move to emmanuel miller who's who's another one of the guys that you brought up i actually hit him uh, on him a little bit in my column this week uh he's really interesting man he is he's been great six foot seven uh older brother of leonard miller 
uh, having himself a great year for TCU, almost 17 points per game, 50, 40, 85 shooting splits, uh, averaging about six boards, three assists, always been a good defender. Uh, one of those guys that tested the waters last year, went back for a graduate year. Uh, what made him sort of a player that you wanted to, to touch on here today? Yeah, so if people don't know also, he is the older brother of Leonard Miller. I know a lot of people, <laughs> big fans of his over the, the last couple of years. Um, but really just with him, it's pretty simple, right? He's one of the highest motor energy guys that I've seen over the last couple of years. Um, and when you match that with some of his defensive versatility, being able to guard at least two through four, even one through four at the college level sometimes, um, just the way that he's able to move laterally and you know make plays on the defensive end. And you match that also with some of the stuff that he's done uh, offensively, just kind of getting a lot of gimme buckets on the offensive glass, uh, on cuts, and doing all that stuff, and also improving as a three-point shooter over the last couple of years. Now, that's that's the key for him, to being able to, mm-hmm. to stick and actually make an impact um, at the NBA level in some way, like maybe not even being in a rotation, but like getting on a roster, that's going to be the key. Uh, for him but when you look over when he started his career where he was at as a shooter the stuff that he the improvement he's made also from the free throw line this year the last couple of years like he's he seems like a guy he's fifth in scoring in the the big 12 right now he's taking on the 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 bigger role this year and kind of running with it which is something i like to to look for and the efficiency has stayed up to par in in the roles that he was in the past so I think we look at a guy who has real NBA wing slash, you know, forwardish type of size. He's a good athlete, can defend in multiple p- positions, brings energy. It's just, can, can he shoot it? And he's going to have a, a, an opportunity. That's the guy that's the easiest to, to find a NBA home. So that's really just, just it for him. And he's been doing it in the Big 12, too. The last three games against OU, KU, and who was the other one? I'm I'm blanking. Uh, oh, they played, yeah, they played somebody else like, Pretty, pretty legit the other day. Houston was who they played in their Houston. last Houston. Yeah. And they would have ran the table on all three of those teams if it wasn't for the officiating in the end of that KU game. So, <laughs> Which was brutal. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was really bad. Yeah, um, so, like, he's he's been doing it. He's been, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I think with Emmanuel Miller, like, the thing I kind of, the conclusion I came to, because I, I sort of dove into the film a little bit more after you brought him up, because I'd watched the, what was the first of those games? The Kansas game. And I was like, oh, man, mm-hmm. i got to do more work on this guy. And like at a certain point, there's a level of like size, motor, and feel that I'm just not really comfortable betting against. And I, I think he yeah. has all three of those. Like he's so smart as a passer. And I also wonder, like, TCU has been a dreadful shooting team the last two years. <laughs> that like you almost wonder it's like, was everything three assists a game? Like, would that number be higher if he was on a team that had like one guy that could shoot on it? Like, yeah. I, I I really feel like that could could pop in an NBA sort of role very good on the offensive glass like just kind of like kind of like leonard like a lot of that same stuff like that just I, hey if you're not paying attention like i'm gonna outsmart you i'm gonna sneak in and i'm gonna work my tail off and, and get it on the glass um yeah the shot is is a little tricky just because i'm not quite sure to make of it but like you said like this mm-hmm. guy came to school as a non-shooter like his freshman year at texas a&m 14 from three 61 from the free throw line so for him even on low volume to be where he is I, I, it, the measurements aren't like awesome. Like I think at elite camp, he had like a six, nine wingspan. Yeah. Uh, was around like six, five uh, or six, seven or so with our six, six mm-hmm. without shoes. But 
I, I look at like the role someone like Josh Akogi has played, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, like I, I think Emmanuel Miller could be that. Like I, I do think there's that kind of role for him, even if like he's not this knockdown guy from three. So I think there's a real, a real path for him, even if like with him being a graduate, with the shot being a little bit of a question, like maybe he doesn't hit the super high end starter outcome, but there are some real like very positive role player outcomes that are that are in the cards for him too yeah i've i've honestly just been like i didn't even rank him on the last board um but he's like right there for me on the 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 in the 60s as somebody Mm -hmm. who could could move up depending on things and i honestly like at a certain point you can you can make an argument you can throw him in there because those guys are so there's like such a limited amount of separation between them but yeah like you said there's just there's just too many things there some of the stuff that he's able to do as a passer um late in in with the ball and being it off of cuts and just as a driver that i've liked a lot and i just think he has the pieces yeah i'm kind of right there with you i think especially for like good teams that are competitive that are picking if there's if it's a team that has mm-hmm. a good amount of shooting like a team like a memphis where like, they just like really struggle to find guys to plug into that like two three four spot at times right. like that's a team where i'm like yeah just, just take that don't, don't get too crazy with it just look look at a guy like emmanuel miller and just go go with that um last guy i wanted to touch on was a guy that, that you get to see up close quite a bit um i know i know you've been to a couple oklahoma state games this year brandon garrison on Oklahoma State, I, I just did a piece for No Ceilings Plus, our premium service. Go subscribe if you've not already. Uh, called Spreadsheet Sleepers, which is the series I've been doing, kind of using analytics in in past prospect data to kind of outlier, find guys that are statistical outliers or, or meet certain criteria of of NBA molds. And a guy uh, who jumped off the page in that respect was Brandon Garrison. It's sort of what I call like a passing and D big, like these big guys that can can short roll, facilitate a little bit, put the ball in the deck a little bit, but also really produce is, is defenders and rebounders. And like Brandon Garrison is one of those guys who meets those criteria. Now he's a little bit older as a freshman. Like I believe he, he's going to turn 20 uh, during the second part of the season here. Um, I do think there's a real value uh, to a player like this. Re- rebounds really respectively. Um very good as a play finisher, like 84% at the rim, a, a solid enough free throw shooter that he's not someone who's going to get hack-a-shacked, uh, but just has this marvelous vision of the floor. And this isn't anything new, like it, it, it the, at the grassroots level, like on EYBL, uh, he had a wild like assisted turnover ratio, like 37 assists in, in over 17 games and only 20 turnovers on the EYBL circuit, which like you just don't see like a lot of guys have a kind of assist to turnover at the grassroots level, but especially a, a six eleven big um, 14.1 assist rate is in line with guys like Evan Mobley and DeMontis Sabonis during college with his speed to turn the corner. Like I just see this guy, you can run him in zoom actions. You can have handoffs with him. Um, if you got a guy who's going to make decisions from the elbow or nail in the offense, like he, he can do that sort of thing. He can short roll uh, defense. There's real versatility. I, I, he's got some like just sort of basic, um, young big like, mm-hmm. like positioning issues and pick and rolls and stuff like that, that he's got to work on a little bit but block rate over 10 really really good strength to say vertical at the basket um covers ground really well has pretty good hands slides his feet well uses his hands well when he guards down i i just think like there's a lot to like nba nba athleticism nba physical tools nba mind uh he's a guy i'm really interested in i don't think he'll come out this year but if he did like I'd kind of think about drafting him in the second round 
down, depending on how pre-draft process goes, which I know is not a common opinion to have. Uh, but he's a player I, I just really like. Um, you've gotten to see him up close, and you've probably actually seen more of him than I have. Um, what is what is your take on on Brandon Garrison at this stage? And are, do you think he's a couple years away, or like would you consider him if he has a really strong second half of the year? Yeah, I think I would consider him this year, even you know potentially. I think it's going to end up being next year for him. I think that's where he takes sure. that that big leap, and it makes the most sense for him personally. Just like in in every way not just like on the court um but yeah you hit you know all the the points that i had uh listed down especially the passing i've really liked what he's done in that respect and that baylor game specifically because that's the last one that i went to mm-hmm. he kind of stole the show in the second half in and in into overtime um just by you know running the floor making plays in a lot of different ways being on the glass um doing things defensively within the pick and roll and uh, kind of making it t- difficult at the bucket on Langston Love and and Ray J. Dennis. All those shots that he was um, taking at the rim were super tough and contested, kind of flying around there. But, yeah, like a guy with his abilities uh, athletically, you know, being able to protect the rim, cover grounds, and also, you know, run certain things offensively and just being able to make plays out of a short roll or just anywhere that he catches the ball on the interior – that stuff is, you know, important and I think is highly valuable. Um, so we'll see how the, the rest of this season goes, and especially in the Big 12 where he's got some some good matchups for him. Um, and, you know, we just see how he's able to, to handle it. And I, I think it could the, – the potential of him it being this year is there if he, he does well in those. For sure, yeah. And I, I think, like you mentioned, like conference flick, it's going to bring a lot to him just because – there's a lot of good bigs and good guards in the big 12. Yeah. And that's going to like provide really interesting kind of a limit test of where he's at. Like obviously something that's Baylor's guards, he's Misi is a, a real deal player, but even like on Kansas, like Hunter Dickinson's not an NBA guy, but like he can give a lot of young big yeah. men problems just because he's, he's crafty enough. Like TCU is always a tough team. Iowa state's got a bunch of nasty guards, uh, a team like Houston with like their interior size and toughness. Those guys like Jawan Roberts, Oklahoma with the guards that they've got and how uncomfortable they can make a big man in space. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati's got a bunch of bigs that, that can play. Like he's he's gonna get real tests. And if he does kind of play like he did in that Baylor game, night out, night in, night out, like there there could be a real this year path for him. But even if he even if he you know doesn't have that big breakout and comes back for another year, like he's just one of those guys I'm very excited about because I love yeah. those passing high skill big men. And I think like just looking at guys in the NBA, they're big. So few of them are like negative on the assist turnover front um, that I think it's, it's a huge differentiator if you can kind of come into the league ready to make decisions. And I, I think that's something that, that he has in his game. Um, so let, let's kind of wrap it up. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to, to actually get the chance to, to talk to you for an hour and, and pick your brain on some of these players. Where can, can people find you uh, on social media, on YouTube, uh, everywhere? Yeah, so I'm always, you know, uploading videos and doing my stuff on YouTube and Hoop Intellect. So definitely go, um, you know, subscribe there if you want some more NBA draft stuff, all types of stuff that we mentioned at the top of the show. That'll be coming out um, over the next several months as we get closer and closer to, to the draft. And then also on Twitter, um, I'll be posting, you know, clips and stuff on there from time to time. Uh, everything NBA draft and then also um, some NBA stuff as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, those are the main places you can, you can find me at. For sure. Make sure you're following everyone here at no ceilings at no ceilings NBA uh, subscribe to our sub stack, no ceilings, NBA.com. 
no cynics plus there uh eight dollars a month gets you bonus content we've got live scouting stuff there we've got our spreadsheet sleeper series uh we've got a lot going on in no cynics plus make sure you can follow me at found boards on twitter that's where all my stuff is uh i think that does it check out my terrence edwards piece that's up uh yeah that'll do it so keandre thank you so much for coming on it's, it's, again it's a huge pleasure make sure you're following him everywhere uh that he mentioned uh thank you all for joining us and we'll see you all next week